Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. Now, in the previous broadcast, I'd ended after Jesus healed the man who had been sick or who had been disabled for 38 years. This was at the pool of Bethesda. And Jesus healed the man without even asking the man if the man wanted Jesus to heal him. Now, there are a number of important things that I really wanted to mention concerning the circumstance. The first, of course, is to understand that, yes, Jesus did not ask him if Jesus could heal him. Instead, the man was focused on the water. Now, being focused on the water, this shows you that he wanted to be healed in a specific way. Even though he wanted to be healed in a specific way, the living God healed him in another way. And I think there are a number of things that we can learn from that because there are many people who really look to God in a way that may be inappropriate. And in this example, we can show that one of those ways is to assume that God is going to work in a specific way, that he's going to work in a precise way, that if he's going to do something in our lives, he must do it in the way that we want him to do it that sometimes we can be so focused on our own issues that we forget that God can make choices and decisions concerning how he is going to interact with us, and he doesn't need our permission to do anything. The other thing that I really wanted to bring out in the previous broadcast is the idea that Jesus sought out this man and that this man did not seek out the Lord Jesus, because it really demonstrates that our God searches after us in addition to us searching out for him, that he doesn't require us to search out for him, for him to search after us, that it certainly is not mandatory, but that he can do that, he does do that, and this is an example to show that very fact. And so I really wanted to take the opportunity to mention that in this context also, because I think it's very important. Another thing that's very important to understand is that Jesus does not do this to assert his messianic claims to this individual. He doesn't tell the man that he's the Messiah either before or after the healing. He doesn't even reveal to this man who he is. But the man does know, he does recognize that he was healed because of the Lord Jesus, that it was the Lord Jesus who did heal him. He did acknowledge that, but he did not know who the Messiah was. He had no opportunity to exercise faith in the Messiah. He had no opportunity to trust in the Messiah. That was not what happened. And in the previous program, I explained why I believe this is significant. I believe that this is significant because it demonstrates further the importance of recognizing that this healing was not really about the man of Bethesda. And I don't mean to say that to say that it wasn't a big deal. I do believe it was a big deal. The living God was merciful to this man, and I'm very thankful for that. I'm sure he was too, and many others could use that as an opportunity to rejoice and glorify God. Without question, but to me, the real issue is what happens afterwards, and that's what I'm going to talk about in this program is what happens afterwards. I really believe that the reason why Jesus did that was for another reason, and that reason was realized 
after the man was discovered at the temple. That was when things started to really take place. That was when things started to happen. And what happened was that the Lord Jesus found an opportunity through this. He had an opportunity to really confront the leadership there at the temple. And that's what I would like to focus on in the next few programs, is the importance of what he says to the leadership after the healing, after he's confronted. Because at this point, it has nothing to do with the man. It has nothing to do with him being healed. It has to do with the Lord Jesus. The focus gets placed on Jesus. Now, when a lot of people look at this passage, when a lot of people study this, they like to talk about the fact that Jesus told the man to carry his mat on the Sabbath day. This is generally the biggest topic of discussion when it comes to what happened. People are really focused on Jesus telling him to pick up his mat because there is the possibility that Jesus told the man to violate the Sabbath law. If you read in John chapter 5, beginning in verse 8, again he said, Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your pallet, and walk. Immediately the man became well and picked up his pallet, a better translation of that word is mat, and began to walk. Now it was the Sabbath on that day, so the Jews were saying to the man who was cured, It is the Sabbath, and it is not permissible for you to carry your pallet. And in this version they use the word pallet. Again, the word is better translated as mat. It was a straw mat that a poor person would be able to afford to have something to sleep on. They accuse him of violating the Sabbath law. They tell the man, you are breaking the Sabbath law. So was he breaking the Sabbath law, or was he not breaking the Sabbath law? And if he was breaking the Sabbath law, did he have the ability or the permission to do that because Jesus told him to do so? Well, this is not really the appropriate way to view this. I really believe that we should be looking at this from a different point of view. I believe we should consider what the Pharisees believed about the Sabbath day. The Pharisees believed a number of things about the Sabbath day, and in verse 11, he gives them an explanation that is consistent with the things that they believed concerning the Sabbath day. In John chapter 5, verse 11, But he answered them, He who made me well was the one who said to me, Pick up your pallet and walk. They asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Pick up your pallet and walk? But the man who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had slipped away while there was a crowd in that place. So Jesus slipped away, did not really give him an opportunity to say thank you, apparently. But what I want you to see is that the man tells the Pharisees, tells the leadership there in Jerusalem, tells the Jews, that He was told to pick up his mat by an individual that he did not know. Now, this is very important. This gives evidence that he was in a public place when the man healed him. Jesus healed him. He was in a public place. Because if he was in a private place, he would most certainly know the individual who was there with him in a private location. So he was in a public location, and of course he was. He was at the Pool of Bethesda, where there were a multitude of people. He was in a public place, and there was an individual who told him to pick up his mat. He picked up his mat, and he is now walking around. They discover him where? In a public place, in the temple. According to the Pharisees, according to one of the Pharisaical laws with regards to the Sabbath, you could pick something up like a mat, and you could carry it around if... You picked it up in a public place and put it down in a public place. Or if you picked it up in a private place and put it down in a private place. 
that according to their theology, that would have been acceptable. If he did it in that way, he would not have violated the Sabbath law. But if he picked up his mat in a private place, which is where you would expect a mat like that to be found, if he picked it up in a private place where he would sleep, where he would rest, where he would live, and brought it into a public place, then that would have been a violation of the Sabbath law according to the Pharisees. You could not transfer something from a private place to a public place or from a public place to a private place. It had to be a private to a private or a public to a public. And in this context, the man carries the mat from a public place to a public place. Now, there has been some debate concerning whether he puts it down or whether he's still holding on to it. I personally think that the greater evidence shows that if he transported it from a public to a public, he was okay. If he transported it from a private to a private, he was okay. But this is the issue. The issue is, is that while we are all debating about did this man violate the Sabbath law, he gave the Pharisees or the Jews in Jerusalem the evidence to show that he did not violate the Sabbath law according to their beliefs. And so, yes, technically, he might have violated the Sabbath law according to the absolute requirements of the Sabbath law as it was given by God through Moses. Yes, that might have been the case. But if you don't like this example, we could just say that if you so much as think about doing any work on the Sabbath day, then it's just as bad as doing it. And so I'm not going to get into that discussion with regards to whether or not he actually obeyed or violated the law according to God. I'm not going to do that. Instead, what I want you to see is that according to the people, according to the people, he did not violate the Sabbath law. This was the end of the discussion with regards to this man. But it's now, instead, an issue for Jesus. Why? Because Jesus healed him on the Sabbath day. The real issue that they became concerned about was the fact that Jesus healed this man on the Sabbath day. Now, a person could heal someone on the Sabbath day in one circumstance, and that is in the event that a person's life is in danger. Then they did say it was acceptable to heal someone or to help someone on the Sabbath day. But that's not what was happening here. And so continuing in John chapter 5, verse 13, but the man who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had slipped away while there was a crowd in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, Behold, you have become well. Do not sin any more, so that nothing worse happens to you. And in the previous program, I explained that this could have been a result of a natural consequence or it could have been divine intervention that he experienced the disability. We don't know what type of sin or what response our God may have had concerning that sin. But to me, that's not the real issue. The real issue is what happens next. In verse 15, the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. Now, hold on a minute. If Jesus made this man well, if Jesus healed this man, if he did this wonderful thing for this man, and this man knew full well that the Jews the leadership, that is, would be upset. They would be irritated. They would have a serious problem with the way that this man was healed if he knew that they would go after the Lord Jesus for healing him, then why would he go tell the Jews that it was Jesus who healed him? The man found out that it was Jesus 
And then he goes and he tells some other people that it was Jesus, knowing full well that they're going to go persecute Jesus for healing him. Was he not thankful? Was he not appreciative? Is this how he rewards the Lord Jesus? Is this how he shows his appreciation for what Jesus did for him? Well, it could be that maybe he wasn't that appreciative. Maybe he didn't really want to be healed. Maybe he didn't like his new lifestyle that he's now going to have to have. Now he's going to have to find a job, maybe. He's not going to be able to hang out with his old friends like he used to be able to because he's not going to be like one of them anymore. He's no longer going to be under the divine judgment of God or he's no longer going to be seen as a sinner anymore. He's going to have to make friends with some new people. And in this case, the evidence shows that he decides that he would prefer to make friends with, to be associated with, to participate in the things of the temple and to be a part of the people who are leaders in the temple, that he would prefer to be a part of them and a part of their lives and a part of this lifestyle than he would prefer to be with the one who actually healed him. Do you understand? This is why I spent so much time talking about this in the previous program, because I wanted to tell you this very fact, that he would know that they would persecute Jesus because of what Jesus did for him. He would know that. And to me, this is very interesting, and I'm not necessarily making a direct accusation and suggesting that this is definitely what was going on in his heart. I'm not saying that. I'm only saying that, to me, the evidence seems to be quite overwhelming to show that this is probably what was going on in his heart, that he probably was not really wanting to be made well. Continuing in John chapter 5, verse 16, it says, For this reason... The Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. And then Jesus begins to give his defense. In verse 17, But he answered them, My father is working until now, and I myself am working. For this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but also was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Okay, so technically the Jews had already rejected the Lord Jesus, apparently. They were wanting all the more to kill him because he was breaking the Sabbath law. Not because he was healing someone, but because he was not obeying the Sabbath law in the way that they thought he should do it. This is a very critical thing. Now, something that's very important to notice is that they did not attempt to prosecute him in any way. And I believe the reason why is because they did not have witnesses. They did not have witnesses to this healing. The man did not know that Jesus healed him. Apparently no one else would have noticed that Jesus healed him there at the pool of Bethesda. Or if they did, because of the crowd, they weren't able to easily identify him. I personally think that they did not have enough witnesses available to be able to convict or prosecute the Lord Jesus for the crime of healing this man on the Sabbath day. However, in saying that, I also want to mention that shortly after this, they do watch him very carefully on the Sabbath day. And in the chronology of his ministry, shortly after this, he does walk through the grain fields on the Sabbath day. And in that circumstance, he does violate the Sabbath law according to their beliefs. And there were plenty of witnesses who observed him doing this. I talked about this in the series of programs I did on the Sabbath law. That happened shortly after this, I believe, as a means of them trying to find witnesses to officially declare that Jesus is definitely doing things that he shouldn't be doing on the Sabbath day according to their law. 
but he gives a defense. And I think this is very important, that Jesus is in the temple, they confront him, and he does defend himself. So through this confrontation, Jesus is questioned. Jesus gets an opportunity to answer. He gets an opportunity to respond to their accusations. And through this response, I believe we see the real reason as to why he healed this man, because he is going to confront the people with his messianic claims. And he does it right there in the temple. He has an open discussion with everyone there. Not only has he provided enough evidence over the previous year or so to demonstrate that he is the Messiah, but now he is right there in their area, in their realm, in their place of authority, and he is standing right there in the temple as the Messiah, as God manifested in the flesh. The presence of God was not in the Holy of Holies. It was right there in front of them. And he defends himself, and then he provides additional evidence to show that he is the Messiah and provides them with a real opportunity to make some serious decisions with regards to what they were really going to believe, what they were going to do as they were confronted with a living God right there in front of them. Continuing in John chapter 5, verse 19, it says, Therefore Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself. Now, this is important to see, and that is that he's not just shifting blame to God, but he is declaring that this was a work of God. It was not really a work of him, not in this overall context, that this was a divine manifestation, that it was the living God who actually did the healing. He did it through the Lord Jesus, yes. However, we have to place credit where it belongs, and that is in the divine presence. We need to recognize that it is the Heavenly Father. It is the living God. It is He who decides who is going to be healed in a divine way and who is not. And He explains to these people, look, the living God did this, and He may have done it through me, certainly, but the Father did this. Do not look at me and accuse me of violating anything. If the living God of this universe decides to heal someone on the Sabbath day, then he can do that. And who am I to stand in his way? And who are you to stand in his way? He is the one who does these things. So he says, the son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the father doing. The father is doing these things. He is healing people. He is setting people free. Jesus can do the same. For whatever the father does... These things the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself is doing. And the Father will show him greater works than these so that you will marvel. He claims in verse 20 that he is the Son and that he has a personal interactive relationship with the Father, with the living God of the universe, something that no one else has. No one ever had. We get to experience that now through the indwelling presence of his Holy Spirit because of the resurrection that we experience as a result of salvation being given to us. We know what this is. But back then, before Jesus died and rose from the dead, no one, no one could have this type of a relationship with the living God through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. Jesus had the presence of the Holy Spirit indwelling within him. And he had a relationship with his God, a relationship in such context that the Father would show him what he's doing. It was like this. The living God would say, Jesus, let me show you what I'm doing. 
Now, can you imagine that? We can imagine that now. We can experience that now. Those of us who have been resurrected have experienced things like this, where the Lord has given us discernment. He has given us insight. He has showed us what he has done. He is showing us what he is doing. On occasion, not in all cases, and some people may never experience this, but that's okay too. My point is is that this is a description, not the only description, but it is a description of a relational experience that Jesus has with the Father, with the living God, that they cannot comprehend, that they cannot understand. And in addition to that, the Father is going to show him greater works than these, so that they will marvel. In other words, he's going to continue to have this relationship with the Father, and the Father is going to continue to show him the works that he is doing. And in addition to that, perhaps he will allow the Lord Jesus to participate in these works that he is doing, and through those, the people... The leaders, the elders, everyone are going to marvel. Why are they going to marvel? Because that's the best they can hope for. That's about the the maximum that they can achieve, that they can experience. They can only marvel, but they will not know the Father as Jesus does. They cannot know the Father as Jesus does because they are not spiritually alive. They have not been resurrected by the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. The free gift of the life of God had not yet been given to humanity because Jesus had not yet risen from the dead. It was only after he rose from the dead that he could resurrect the people who believed in him. In verse 21, he says, For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son also gives life to whom he wishes. Okay, here's the transition. You see, his defense was very short-lived. It was a simple defense, and that is that God did this. Who am I to stand in his way, and who are you to stand in his way? You want to accuse me of violating the Sabbath law? I'm not the one who did the healing. It was the Father who did the healing. Jesus made the claim that the Father did the works within and through him, that Jesus was not the one who did the healing. You understand? They're claiming that he violated the Sabbath law, but he is not the one who did the work. If they want to accuse anyone of violating the Sabbath law, they're going to have to accuse the Father. That was his defense. Then he moves directly to confront them. He confronts them with his messianic claim. He says at the end of verse 21, even so the Son also gives life to whom he wishes. So the Father raises the dead and gives them life. We know that he can resurrect an individual in a physical way on this earth, that if somebody dies, he can resurrect them so that they can live a little longer, and then they'll die again. We know that that's true. We also know that he will resurrect people spiritually, that he will restore the spirit of life that had been lost in Adam. We know that also. The Lord Jesus resurrected people, gave people life in a physical sense. We have examples of that during his ministry where he resurrected people from the dead. We know that he had that power, but what they would have missed, what they could have easily missed, was his claim that he will also restore to people the Holy Spirit, the life of God, that will resurrect them from the dead spiritually so that they can be alive to their God enter into his kingdom as living beings. 
in verse 22, For not even the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son. Okay, now this is very good. This is a serious confrontation now, and that is that they are going to pass judgment against him for being a participant in the healing, a participant in the work of God. They're going to judge him for being a part of something that the Father does. But the fact is that Jesus is going to be the one who will judge them. They want to come and attack him or confront him or persecute him and pass judgment on him? Well, just wait, because he is the one who is going to judge them. That's what he says. So he's no longer really defending himself at this point. At this point, he is declaring to them that they are not as impressive as they think they are, that he's not impressed with them, that he's not concerned about them, that they may claim that they're going to pass judgment on him, but he is the one who is going to judge them, that the Father will judge no one. Verse 22, for not even the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son so that all will honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. He's talking about resurrection. He's talking about salvation. He's talking about the restoration of the Holy Spirit. In verse 25, truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Those who will receive him for who he is, who will receive the free gift that he offers. Those are the ones who will be resurrected and the others will die and they will never, ever see the kingdom of heaven. That's how he responds to their accusation that he's violating the Sabbath law. They come to him and say, Jesus, you healed a man on the wrong day. He says, you know what? I'm going to judge you and you're not going to make it into the kingdom of heaven. You're spiritually dead and I'm not going to resurrect you. How do you like that? That's the kind of confrontation that we have happening here. I think it's really important to see this, that he uses this opportunity to be very, very direct with these individuals about his messianic claim, about all that has been given to him and given to them, and they now have to make a decisive choice with regards to what they are really going to believe. No more delays. They have to make a choice. Are they going to trust in him, or are they going to reject him? And I will continue in the next broadcast. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net Thank you,